Rush Limbaugh passes away and the online left celebrates. The Biden administration has literally no idea what the hell it's talking about when it comes to reopening schools. And we learn from the Washington Post that if you spray Gorilla Glue in your hair, it's because of systemic racism. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. You have a right to privacy. Defend your rights at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Speaking of which, you may have noticed the big tech bros, not your friends. Those are people who want to restrict your access to information and also monetize your data at the exact same time. Why would you give your data to these folks? Instead, protect your data the way that I do by using ExpressVPN. Everything you search for, watch or click online can be tracked by big tech companies. They can then match your activity to your true identity using your device's unique IP address. Well, when I switch on ExpressVPN with my computer or phone, my IP address is masked by a secure VPN server. That makes it harder for websites to identify me. The ExpressVPN app also encrypts my network data to protect my sensitive information from being compromised. Plus, you can use ExpressVPN on up to five devices simultaneously, so multiple users on your network can stay safe with a single subscription. What I like most is how easy it is to use. It takes just one click to protect all your devices, which is why they are rated the number one VPN by CNET and Wired. So... Stop handing over your data to big tech companies. Go with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben to get three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben to get three extra months for free. Go to expressvpn.com slash Ben right now to learn more. Okay, well, big news of the day yesterday, and honestly, historic news, the death of Rush Limbaugh. So for those of you who never listened to Rush, you missed out. Rush was the granddaddy, not only of talk radio, but of all the alternative media. Without Rush Limbaugh, there is no alternative media. You have to understand what Rush was and what he was not. So what he was not is what the media are calling him today. A bigot, a vicious, terrible person, saying the world is better off because he is dead. This is stuff that you are seeing in mainstream media outlets. It's stuff that you're seeing certainly on Twitter, which allowed rot in hell to trend when Rush Limbaugh died, as well as rest in piss. You can tell that the left really didn't like this guy. Here's the thing. The reason they didn't like Rush is because they kept trying to cancel him and they kept failing. The reason they didn't like Rush is because Rush provided an alternative. Until there was Rush, there was a media monopoly in this country on the left. Rush was the first point of pushback to that. Now, there had been conservatives who'd been on mainstream television before. Milton Friedman's Free to Choose aired on PBS. And William F. Buckley's Firing Line was also on PBS. But that was basically conservatives existing at the sufferance of liberal, liberal overlords in the media. The reality is that at the very beginning, there were just three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, all of them lean to the left. Virtually every major newspaper in the United States leans to the left. And when it came to radio, radio was basically a dead medium. Certainly the AM band was a dead medium. It was really hard to listen to. The quality was really staticky. It was a bad place for music, right? All of the music had, had migrated over to FM. So AM radio was basically dead. And the Fairness Doctrine ruled. The Fairness Doctrine was this unconstitutional, I think, doctrine that suggested that if you had a broadcast license, you had to be fair in your presentation of the issues, which was a completely subjective interpretation because there was no way that folks with broadcast licenses were being fair in their presentation of the issues. They certainly were not providing all sides of any particular issue. Well, in 1987, the FCC under Ronald Reagan got rid of the fairness doctrine. And in doing so, they opened the path to AM radio because they allowed people with broadcast licenses to stop worrying about government mastering them, and start worrying about what the market wanted to hear. In 1989, Rush Limbaugh launches the Rush Limbaugh Show, and it immediately becomes a sensation. And it becomes a sensation because there's an entire side of the political aisle that for decades has had no daily outlet for the news. Remember, there's no major mainstream newspaper that was right-wing. There was no television state. Fox News did not exist. None of this infrastructure existed. 
And when it came to daily news, there was no internet. So that meant that all the news that you ever got was daily news from the left. And even those shows that I mentioned before, a special like Milton Friedman, that happened once in a blue moon. And William F. Buckley, that might happen once a week, but it certainly wasn't every day. It certainly wasn't a commentary on the narrative as it was being spun out by the left in real time. So Rush comes along and Rush is maybe the most talented person ever to enter the radio medium. I think probably without question, he's the most talented person ever to enter the radio medium. He single-handedly makes the AM band a thing because suddenly here is a person who is funny. This is what drives the left absolutely up a wall is the fact that Rush was a funny person. Rush was entertaining and Rush saw himself as an entertainer. He called himself a lovable little fuzzball. He talked about I was going to fight the left with one half of his brain tied behind his back, talents on loan from God, and all this is all tongue-in-cheek kind of stuff. And Rush approached the issues with humor. And this made him entertaining and subversive, and the left could not handle it. And if you talk to any conservative born after 1960, Rush was a seminal figure in their life. People of my age range, we listened to Rush because my dad was listening to Rush in the car. And on the way to UCLA, when he was driving me to UCLA some days, it would be Rush Limbaugh on in the car. And then when I was driving myself in my 1986 Honda Civic with no air conditioner, it was listening to Rush on my way in the car. And Rush was defiant in his resistance of liberal narratives. Rush was willing to say things that were true, but that might not please the people on the left. And this gave a lot of people courage. It gave me courage when I was in class. It gave me weapons to argue my position when I was at UCLA. Now, the left today will tell you that Rush was a polarizing figure, super oppositional, super terrible. Here's the reality. The left had a monopoly. Anybody who breaks a monopoly is seen by the monopolists as defiant and oppositional. That's the way this works. Everybody on the right right now who refuses to kowtow to the woke authoritarian left line is seen as oppositional and polarizing and defiant. It doesn't matter that people like me do the Sunday special every week and many weeks. It is people on the left. That does not matter. None of that really makes a difference. The idea is that anybody who speaks up against the left is the cause of the polarization because the left should have complete dominance. Rush was the first person to deny this. Rush was the first person to say, listen, I exist, you exist, I hear you and you hear me, and we can communicate with each other. You, the conservative living in the middle of the country, who's been completely overlooked by the establishment media, you have a voice and you have a place you can go to hear people who agree with you. And you have arguments that you can leverage in support of your viewpoint. This is why the left was so frightened of Rush Limbaugh, because Rush was entertaining, because Rush did have a big crowd. It's why the left decided they were going to go after him. Uh, I think it is fair to say that if it were not for Rush, there would not be this entire left-wing apparatus designed at destroying people in right-wing media because there wouldn't be a right-wing media. Fox News would not exist without Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh was the test case. He was the canary in the coal mine for the suggestion that there was, in fact, a massive market for conservative content in the United States. Because again, the methods of dissemination just didn't exist to that point. So Rush was a, a deeply important figure in the history of conservatism. He also had a gift for distilling down complex arguments to something more simple. And William F. Buckley was famously sesquipedalian, right? He would use words that nobody knew, right? This, he was extraordinarily literate, but this didn't exactly make him always the best expositor of conservative to the truck driver, to the guy who didn't go to college. Rush was the guy who talked to everyone. Rush never talked down to anyone. And listen, I'm a huge Buckley fan, but there is no question that Buckley's chief audience was college graduates. People who read National Review are not the same people who listen to talk radio. Rush was the person who brought conservatism to the common man, which is why you saw in 1994, after Newt Gingrich became Speaker of the House, Rush was given an honorary congressional seat by members of the, of the Republican Party in Congress. You know, Rush's willingness and ability 
to explain conservative viewpoints made him unique in the space and also made him the target of unique ire from the left. Very early on, the left identified him as a threat, and then they dedicated nearly everything in their arsenal to destroying him. A lot of the same stuff that you see today started with Rush. The attempts to deplatform, the attempts to go after his advertisers, all that started with Rush. The attempt to blame people on the right for violence with which they had nothing to do, that all started with Rush. I'm old enough to remember when the left tried to blame Rush for the Oklahoma City bombing. So Rush was just the first guy there. And not only the first guy there, the most talented guy there. And you can sense how important Rush was by the amount that the left hates him, despises him. I mean, after, after he died, again, the reaction from the left, which is sometimes muted depending on who dies, was absolutely unbridled. Absolutely unbridled. And to pretend, by the way, that this exists equally on both sides of the aisle is, is very silly. When, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, there weren't people on the right who were talking about what a terrible, evil person she was and the world is better off without her because it wasn't true. But with the left, the idea is that Rush Limbaugh was the font head of all evil, especially because, of course, Donald Trump had just been elected president of the United States and he'd been president of the United States and Rush had been a big Trump supporter. But for those of us who listened to Rush for 30 years, long before Trump was ever even in the rearview mirror, we recognized, that Trush, uh, we recognized that Rush's legacy was way more than that. It was giving people a voice. It was making people feel heard. And more importantly, it was beginning a mass movement in favor of conservatism that actually had alternative outlets. Daily Wire would not exist were it not for Rush Limbaugh. This podcast would not exist were it not for Rush Limbaugh. Certainly this radio show would not exist were it not for Rush Limbaugh. Rush built this, right? We're all sort of living in the house that Rush built. In a second, we're going to talk a little bit more about Rush Limbaugh, and we'll talk about the blowback that he is receiving after his death. You know, if, if you can be judged by your friends, then you can be certainly judged by the people who are really pissed off at you even after you die. Uh, and uh, that is certainly the case with Rush Limbaugh. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about something that you need to do as a responsible human being. That, of course, is you should have life insurance because let's be real about this. All of us have an expiration date. And when that happens, we want to make sure our families are taken care of. You need more cash to put toward the things that you care about. So why would you spend too much on life insurance? Instead, why not check out Policy Genius? Policy Genius can help you compare life insurance rates and save 50% or more in the process. First, you head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as a buck a day. You might even be eligible to skip that in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. If you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they'll take care of everything for you. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. If you're worried that March is just around the corner and you've barely gotten anything done, take a deep breath. Policy Genius will help you make the most of this short month in minutes. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. Feel good knowing your loved ones would be taken care of. If, God forbid, anything were to happen to you, go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice and quite important to get it right. And so Rush Limbaugh's wife, Catherine, made an announcement on his show Wednesday morning. She said, losing a loved one is terribly difficult, even more so when that loved one is larger than life. Rush will forever be the greatest of all time. And that, of course, is true. Just speaking of his life, Rush Limbaugh got started as a morning talk show host in 1983 at Kansas City's KMBZ. He went to California's KFBK in Sacramento in 1986. And in 1988, he relocated to New York and signed his syndication deal for the Rush Limbaugh show. His daily show on New York's WABC aired on 56 networks, eventually grew into the most listened to radio program of all time. It reached more than 600 stations and an, an estimated audience of some 27 million listeners, according to Emily Zanotti over at Daily Wire. In 1993, Limbaugh was inducted as a member of the National Radio Hall of Fame. In many ways, he shaped the modern Republican Party. He was an early supporter of the Tea Parties in, 20, in 2009 and of then presidential candidate Donald Trump in 2016, of course. 
Limbaugh said several years ago, we stood for the concepts that are in our Declaration of Independence, right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We stood for that. We were the beacon for it. To this day, that is why the oppressed of the world still seek to come to this country. And you can, I mean, the, the, the reaction on the right is universal mourning. The editorial board of the Wall Street Journal says a familiar voice in American media and politics has gone quiet. Rush Limbaugh, the most listened to radio host in America for 30 years, died Wednesday at age 70. We recall how bracing the Rush Limbaugh show was in its early days. For decades, the airways had been governed by the Fairness Doctrine, a federal regulation requiring stations to balance, quote unquote, controversial claims with contrasting viewpoints. The rule gave incumbent candidates and mainstream news outlets a near monopoly on public discourse. Reagan scrapped the Fairness Doctrine in 1987. By the 1992 presidential campaign, the radio star's first name was known across the United States. He was invaluable to the conservative movement of the 90s. He would spend an hour explaining supply-side tax policy or making the case for deregulation. Millions of Americans had never heard a coherent argument against the welfare state or Roe versus Wade until they tuned in to Limbaugh's show. He played an enormous role in popularizing conservative ideas and policies. His critics called him a racist and about everything else, which was always unfair. His real offense was to gain millions of weekly listeners by mocking the left's pieties. He dissected environmental scare campaigns. He ridiculed the news media for finding epidemics of homelessness only during Republican administrations. In 1994, Bill Clinton called the St. Louis radio station from Air Force One to complain about Limbaugh's criticism, not for the last time blaming scrappy radio hosts for his own political woes. In recent years, with the rise of more acerbic competitors and a general souring of public discourse, Limbaugh took on a more exasperated tone, says the Wall Street Journal. He also moved to the Trumpian right on issues like trade, immigration, and foreign policy. But unlike others on the talk radio right, he kept a sense of humor and rarely let anger drown his fundamental optimism about the United States. His great strength was never to take himself too seriously. Limbaugh knew he was an entertainer, not an intellectual or politician. He said so many times. He was popular because he was superb at his craft and represented traditional American values that the dominant culture too often demeans. And that, of course, is exactly right. Now, naturally, the left reacted to his death by doing exactly what they do with people they don't like when those people are alive. They took everything that he had ever said out of context. They found his worst comments and they strung them together to form the corpus of his life. This is what CNN did. So CNN, instead of paying tribute to one of the pioneers of an entire medium, and maybe the pioneer when it came to the establishment of an alternative media, of course, CNN wouldn't like this because it breaks CNN's monopoly. Instead, they ran an entire montage of just Limbaugh's worst lowlights, right? Because to the left, that's what everybody is. You are just a companion. Imagine if your life at your, at your funeral, your life was just all of your worst moments strung together. Here's the thing about Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh was on air live three hours a day for 30 years, for 30 years. It is impossible to speak for three hours a day for 30 years and never say anything that you don't regret, right? That, that, that is just a fundamental reality of life. But for the left, it's the things that, that he said that offended people or the things that he said that he then apologized for. That is the compendium of what Rush Limbaugh stood for for his listeners. In the same way that all of the all of the worst things about Donald Trump, that's the stuff you embrace. Because the idea here is that Rush was popular because he was bad, right? That's the idea, is that if you agreed with Rush on fundamental principles, this also meant that you were in cahoots with the things that he regretted having said. And so CNN, upon his death, they don't run uh, a sort of tribute to Rush as a human being. Instead, they decide that it's important that they run a montage of a Media Matters, essentially, edited compendium of, of all of his all of his heresies. Fans, known as Ditto Heads, cheered his brazen style, while critics blasted him for racist, sexist, and other offensive speech. He accused actor Michael J. Fox of exaggerating his Parkinson's symptoms. He is moving all around and shaking, and it's purely an act. Women must decide their fate. 
and he insulted a college student who advocated for access to birth control, a conservative media icon whose legacy will always symbolize division. I mean, that, from, CN, from Brian Stelter, Russia's legacy will always symbolize division. CNN preceded Rush. CNN is maybe the most divisive force in the American media right now because they pretend to be objective and they clearly are not. But this is what they boil down all conservatism to. See, it's not about what he said about Sandra Fluck and it's not about what he said about Michael J. Fox. I'm sure he regretted both of those. I think he apologized for both of those things, actually. What it is for the left is that if you are a conservative, you are all of the worst aspects of you. If you're conservative, then all they want you to remember is all of that stuff. You don't have the literally thousands of hours of Rush Limbaugh talking about deep and profound issues. You don't have any clips on CNN of Rush Limbaugh at the end of his life talking about how to die with dignity, which he did talk about on his show. Instead, what you get is that crap. Okay, this is because this is what the left thinks of you. What the left thinks of you is that you are that. And they think Rush was that. Rush was not that. Rush was, by all accounts, one of the kindest people that people had met. Tammy Bruce, who, is a, uh, who was a former left-wing radio host and ended up becoming right-wing, has a beautiful tribute to him today. Eric Erickson, who is always right-wing, has a beautiful tribute to him today. I only had the pleasure of meeting Rush in person once and over the phone once. I, I spoke with him over the phone, actually twice. I spoke with him over the phone because I was in his limbo letter a couple of times. Just an absolute gentleman, very kind, extraordinarily generous. When I met him in person, Rush was shockingly retiring. He was not the sort of bombastic figure that you, you hear on the air. Rush was somebody who has been described by Eric Erickson, I think, correctly as having a quiet soul. That's who Rush was. People talk about the fact that he would give these enormous tips, these five ten thousand dollars tips at a dinner. There are people on both sides of the aisle who talk about his inflinching politeness when he when when you would talk with him. And yet, all CNN can boil that down to is he was a bad person. Right? That's what CNN is boiling it down to. And you get the same thing from the New York Times. So the New York Times ran this headline. This is the headline that is currently up at the New York Times website. Quote, Rush Limbaugh, who built talk radio into right-wing attack machine, dies. Mr. Limbaugh, 70, who helped transform the GOP, pushed talk radio to the right with misogynistic and racist language and conspiracy theories. That is the most dismissive, disgusting, and ridiculous headline that I have read in quite a while from the New York Times. That's saying a lot because they do this kind of crap regularly. Rush Limbaugh's legacy to millions of Americans is that he taught them about conservatism. His legacy to millions of Americans is that he was entertaining about politics and introduced them to politics. His legacy to millions of Americans is that he gave them a way to fight back. And the New York Times boils that down to he was a racist, misogynist, blah, 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 blah. That's what they boil it down to. By the way, I should just note some of the other New York Times obituaries that they've run for public figures. This was run just a few years ago. Mao Zedong died on this year in 1976. The Times said he began as an obscure peasant and died one of history's greatest revolutionary figures. Or maybe Fidel Castro. Here was their obit when Fidel Castro, you know, the brutal and repressive Cuban dictator, died. Here was their, here was their headline. Fidel Castro, Cuban revolutionary who defied U.S., dies at 90. How about Ayatollah Khomeini? You know, the radical, anti-Semitic, genocidal, anti-Jew dictator of Iran. Ayatollah Khomeini, 89, the unwavering Iranian spiritual leader. Or how about this for Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan dictator, a polarizing figure who led a movement? How about Yasser Arafat? You know, like one of the founders of Islamic terrorism. Yasser Arafat, father and leader of Palestinian nationalism, dies at 75. So just to get this straight, of all the people I just mentioned, Mao, Castro, Khomeini, Chavez, Yasser Arafat, it's Rush Limbaugh who deserves the most rage from the New York Times. Why? Because Rush threatened their monopoly. That's really what this is about in the end. And so the blue checks were celebrating last night because that's what they do, because 
It is amazing that the people who consider themselves the most virtuous are the ones who are crapping all over a man on the day he dies. So you get Charlotte Clymer, of course, tweeting out, Rush Limbaugh was a coward and white supremacist. White supremacist. He aggressively and cynically exploited divisions in our country by weaponizing hatred and bigotry for his own personal gain. He was in service to his own greed, prejudice, and hypocrisy. And that is how history will remember him. Just delightful. Delightful, these folks. Siobhan Thompson, RIP Rush Limbaugh, died 69 years later than he should have. Beautiful stuff here from the left. Don't worry, it's Rush who is the polarizing figure you see. These people are all for unity. The execrable Chank Iger says, Uyghur says, the idea that you say artificially nice things about people after they die is weird. I've never understood the logic of it. Rush Limbaugh was a terrible person while he was alive. He made a living by attacking the powerless. His death does not in any way change or redeem that. Says Chank Uyghur, who spends his days abusing travel staff at the airlines. Yeah, this stuff is just, I'm sorry, it's just, it's just gross. There's no reason to even dwell on it because all it does is give attention to people who are desperately seeking it. But the point is broader. And that is the reason that the left hated Rush is because Rush was representative of the fact that there is dissent because Rush did not back down because Rush spoke clearly. Let's be perfectly obvious about this. The reason they hate Rush is the same reason they hate everybody who does not agree with them. Because I promise you, the reaction to Rush Limbaugh's death it will be the exact same reaction if, God forbid, something would happen to Sean Hannity or something would happen to Tucker Carlson or something would happen to Megyn Kelly or something would happen to Glenn Beck or something would happen to Dennis Prager or something would happen to Mark Levin or something would happen to me. The reaction would be exactly the same, exactly the same. It would just be a compendium of the quote-unquote worst things that we'd ever said, and then it would be, what a terrible person, we're glad they're dead. And the reason they feel that way is because Rush challenged the monopoly. Rush changed the paradigm. The left doesn't like that the paradigm changed. The left doesn't decry polarization because they hate polarization in and of itself. If they did, maybe they'd want to have discussions with people on the right occasionally, as opposed to trying to silence them. No, the Rush believes that Rush was polarizing. The left believes that Rush was polarizing because the left does not like the idea that there even is dissent. The left does not want there to be another side of the aisle. Everybody knows that they would treat any person on the right who is not serving as their as their unique tool at a particular time this way. If John McCain had passed away in 2008 while running against Barack Obama, you would have heard the exact same crap about John McCain. If Mitt Romney had passed away in 2012 while running against Barack Obama, you would have heard exactly the same thing. Because John McCain died after having sided with Democrats on healthcare and after having gone up against Trump, then he was a hero. Same thing with Mitt Romney right now. All that matters for the left is whether you're a tool for them. If you are not, you are an enemy. Rush was an enemy, and therefore he was to be destroyed. But he refused to be destroyed, and in that lies a, a bit of inspiration for all of us, I would hope. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to Joe Biden and his absolutely incoherent COVID strategy, because it is incoherent at this point. Perfectly, perfectly, obviously incoherent. First, let us talk about a way that people can uh, steal your assets. So what is your most valuable asset? Well, clearly your home title, right? Your home title is the most valuable asset. Now, nobody is actually going to be able to go over with a truck and pick up your home and drive away with it, because it's very, very, very heavy. But what they can do is they can hack into your home title. You never thought that COVID could cost you your home, but it could, because cybercrime is up by 75%. By far, the most serious cybercrime to worry about is home title theft. That is correct. Cybercriminals, foreign and domestic, are now after our homes. It is easier than you'd think. The title documents to our homes are online now. The thief finds your home title and then forges your signature on a quit claim deed stating you sold your home to him and then takes out loans on your home and leaves you in debt. You're not going to know until late payment or eviction notices arrive. Insurance doesn't cover you. Neither do common identity theft programs. That's why I protect my home with home title lock. 
the instant home title lock detects someone tampering with my home title, they help shut it down cold. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you are already a victim, and then just use code RADIO to receive 30 free days of protection. That is code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Once more, that is HomeTitleLock.com. By a quick note, final note here on the, on the opposition to Rush. What really is happening here is this is part and parcel of a broader leftist attempt to reestablish the monopoly they had in the 70s, 80s, 60s. Right? The, the idea here from the left is that the media monopoly must be reestablished at all costs. It's the reasons you are seeing them coming after Twitter and Facebook and trying to cudgel all of your social media sites into downplaying news dissemination. It is the reason they are attacking free speech itself. There's a piece in the New York Times today from Thomas Edsel, whose data analysis is usually pretty good, but he has an entire piece about why democracy is weakening. And what is his theory about why democracy is weakening? It's because of digital technology. Because the fact is, that the freedom of the digital space is allowing people to speak who should not be allowed to speak. This is a widespread view on the left, that freedom is itself a threat to freedom. Nathaniel Persley, a law professor at Stanford, summarized the dilemma in his 2019 report, The Internet's Challenge to Democracy, Framing the Problem and Assessing Reforms. Persley says the promise of the internet has been replaced by concern that the most democratic features of the internet are, in fact, endangering democracy itself. Democracies pay a price for internet freedom under this view in the form of discrimination, disinformation, hate speech, incitement, and foreign interference in elections. Writing separately in an email, personally argued, Twitter and Facebook allowed Trump both to get around their legacy intermediaries and to manipulate them by setting their agenda. They also provided environments such as Facebook groups that have proven conducive to radicalization and mobilization. Margaret Roberts, political scientist at UC San Diego, puts it differently. Quote, the difficult part about social media is that the freedom of information online can be weaponized to undermine democracy. Okay, this is the push the left has been making. They've been making it since Rush Limbaugh first came on the scene. We need our monopoly back, otherwise it's going to destroy democracy. If you need your informational monopoly back or it's going to destroy democracy, I do not think you know what the word democracy means. I certainly don't think you know what freedom of speech means if your great concern is that freedom of speech might allow people who disagree with you to speak. But that is really the agenda here. Okay, meanwhile, Joe Biden's, Joe Biden's agenda, President Biden's agenda, continues to be run by the radical left. He met in the Oval Office yesterday with labor leaders to discuss COVID relief and infrastructure reform because obviously the people who should be driving the bus when it comes to COVID relief are giant unions that contribute enormous quantities of capital to Democratic campaigns. By the way, the most corrupt thing that openly happens in American politics is that big labor funnels a bunch of money to Democratic candidates, particularly public sector unions, because then they just negotiate with the people they elected, right? This is the way the public sector unions work. The teachers unions, for example, teachers unions, funnel money to people like Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and then they strike, and then they go to Lori Lightfoot, who they just elected, and they say, why don't we negotiate for better benefits and more taxpayer dollars? And Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's like, sounds great. It's the most corrupt open bargain in American society, and yet it is considered perfectly fine by folks on the left, even though it is people bargaining against the taxpayer with people that they have essentially gotten elected in the first place. It's really amazing. So Joe Biden's agenda is being run by the teachers' unions when it comes to COVID, for example. And he's meeting with union leaders to discuss all of his other jobs programs, despite the fact that private sector unionization in the United States is at an all-time low. When it comes to COVID policy, we were told that Joe Biden was going to have just the spectacular COVID policy, right? He was going to come into office. It was going to be all hunky-dory, right? He wasn't, he was gonna, he wasn't going to end the economy or hurt the economy. He was going to end the virus. That's what he was going to do. Well, here's the problem. Number one, Joe Biden is not with it. I know that this is supposed to be in politics to say anyone with a functioning prefrontal cortex can see this. Anyone. This is not the guy he was even 30 years ago, and he wasn't much to speak about 30 years ago. 
I mean, it's amazing to me the stuff that, that Joe Biden is able to get away with just because he's a Democrat. So, for example, he had the CNN town hall the other night, and he literally said that minorities don't know how to go online. I mean, can you imagine if a Republican said that? If a conservative said people who are black and Hispanic don't know how to go online? The blowback would be immediate and intense. Joe Biden says it, and we're all just like, oh, grandpa, you're so silly sometimes. And then we shuttle him to the back, feed him some cream of wheat while he plays Mario Kart. Here's President Biden. A lot of people don't know how to register. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, particularly in uh, uh, rural areas that are distant and or inner city districts, know how to use know how to get online to determine how to get in line for that COVID vaccination at the, at the Walgreens. I mean, Joe Biden is literally saying that black and Hispanic people are too stupid to use the internet to find how to get in line at Walgreens. I'm pretty sure that's not true. You know how I know that's not true? Because it's not true and kind of racist, Joe. But apparently that's totally fine. Now, we would be remiss if we suggested that the failure of the COVID plans, particularly when it comes to school reopening, from Biden is because of his apparent incipient senility, right? That, that would be remiss, okay? It is not really because of Joe Biden personally. It's really because he has no plan. It's because he is in hock to the teachers' unions. The science disagrees with the teachers' unions. And when political interest and science come into conflict, the party of ta science tells the science to take a hike. This is why Kamala Harris, right, who is not suffering from the same effects of old age as Joe Biden, stammered her way through an interview about what COVID school reopening policy should look like. I don't think that Joe Biden's inarticulateness is infectious. I think that Kamala Harris has no good answer to this question because the administration has no good answer to this question because the answer is perfectly obvious, which is that they are serving the, the interests of the teachers unions and screwing the students over. So Kamala Harris was asked straight up about the Biden school reopening plan. And listen to this lady. I mean, she, she, she has no clue what to say because it is against her political interest to say the truth, which is that schools need to reopen now. We are, uh, the, the issue here is not just about statistics. It's about our kids. It's about their parents. It's about the fact that every day our kids are missing essential, critical days in their educational development. Uh, you know, we, we know, we have worked on this issue for years around the fact that, you know, by the end of third grade, if a child is not at third grade reading level, they literally drop off. So each day in the life of a child is a very long time. The question was, how are you going to reopen schools? That was the question. And she, she can't get through an answer. Instead, she has to just go to, schools are good. Yeah, we know. That's why we want them reopened. And we're going to get to the complete incoherence of this policy in just one second, because it is completely incoherent. You are hearing a different message from different members of the administration every 30 seconds. They all conflict with each other, and there is no unifying principle other than we can't give you a straight answer because the teachers' unions haven't told us what to say yet. Okay, we're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that sometimes it is really hard to find the proper person to fill the role at your business. And right now, I think the economy is going to start going great guns as the vaccines kick in, as we start ignoring the silliness of our politicians. And I think that'll be great. I think that people are going to go shopping again. I think that people are going to start using services again. The jobs market is going to tick up. This is what pretty much all of financial forecasts say. It's time for your business to grow, but you need the best employees. And if you're an employee, you need the best employer. Where can you hook up here? ZipRecruiter.com. If you're in charge of hiring for your business, these pivots have made your job even more challenging. You know, the, the pivots of the COVID pandemic and the down economy, but ZipRecruiter can fix this for you. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job boards with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites these people to apply. 
It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. See for yourself right now. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Let ZipRecruiter take hiring off your plate so you can focus on growing your business. Head on over to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. All righty, before we go any further, let me remind you. Last Friday, The Daily Wire announced a movie deal with Gina Carano, the former actress on The Mandalorian. She was canceled, of course, because she is conservative. So we here at The Daily Wire have decided to team up with Gina. Within hours of us making the announcement, the news went absolutely viral. From USA Today to the LA Times to Variety. Shock or outrage, there was still a massive show of coverage. Headline after headline documented Gina's rejection of cancel culture. It was a brave move by Gina because that's exactly what this was. It was more than a statement. It was a first move to fight back against the totalitarian mob and uncancel people who shouldn't have been canceled in the first place. In Gina's own words, they cannot cancel us if we don't let them. And we won't. That is why Daily Wire has entered the entertainment space. That's why we want you to be part of this fight to reclaim our culture. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Gina to get 25% off your membership today. That's G-I-N-A to get 25% off. We are stoked. For all of the entertainment content ahead, we are making it right now. We want you to be a part of it. It's expensive stuff. We need your help. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Gina. Also, next week, we are having a State of the Union backstage. So we will suffer through Joe Biden mushmouthing his way through the State of the Union address. If you wish to suffer with us or simply to gaze in horror as we all suffer together, well, then head on over to dailywire.com and become a subscriber. You can get all of the privileges of being an all-access member right now. When you use code you get 25% off. Go check us out right now. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So the Biden administration, they have no clue what to say on the school stuff because the science conflicts with what they actually want. So we get 10 different positions on this from the same administration. So first of all, I'm getting real sick of hearing from the Biden administration that we have no idea when everybody will feel normal again. The answer is when vaccination is widespread. End of story. Okay, because guess what? When when vaccination is widespread, I'm going back to my regular life. And I think you are too. Because vaccination is cutting down on transmission in radical ways. It is cutting down on serious sickness in radical ways. And once you've been vaccinated, there ain't much more you can do. Okay, I'm not going to live in terror of a virus that already had a low death rate for people in my age range compared to certainly people above the age of 70. And then after I get a vaccine, which reduces the risk of that virus by 95%, then I'm going to still sit in my house and never go to a ball game again? Forget it. Not going to happen. Okay, but according to the Biden administration, we have to do this forever. They have no pathway out of this because they kind of like it. It is perfectly obvious at this point that the folks who are in charge of the, of the Democratic Party are kind of fine and they're kind of fond of the amount of control they've been able to leverage and exert over the course of this past year and they are not going to let it go anytime soon. Here is Jen Psaki. We are not in a place where we can predict exactly when everybody will feel normal again. And it has, there are a number of reasons. One is, even though we will have enough doses for every person in this country, as you all know, because we've talked about it in here, vaccine hesitancy remains a challenge. Uh, We need to ensure that uh, that everybody who uh, can get a dose is getting a dose. Uh, we all will also need to be masking for some time. We will also need to be still taking social distancing measures. So, uh, you know, there, there's, of course, is a, an understandable question. And I think the president uh, wants things to return to normal, as we all do. Uh, but we, uh, we, we don't know at this point what that timeline is going to look like. But forget about the timeline. You haven't even set the standards for when we can return to normal. Forget about, like, giving us an exact date. Tell me when. The number of vaccinations handed out allows me to go to a ball game. Okay, I mean, that seems like that should be something to science should be able to tell us. No, but apparently not. 
because it's more important to simply kick the can down the road. By the way, if you want to disincentivize people from getting the vaccine at a time when a huge number of Americans are already declining to get the vaccine, continue to do this crap where you say that things are never going to go back to normal after you've had the vaccine. Why in the world would a 20-year-old go get the vaccine if you're telling them that even after they have the vaccine, they have to socially distance and wear a mask and you're going to mask shame them if, if they don't wear a mask after they've had the vaccine? Absolutely asinine, ridiculous crap here from the Biden administration, but that's not the worst of it. Listen to the various views of the Biden administration on getting back to schooling. Okay, so here's Jen Psaki explaining that Joe Biden doesn't think that teachers need to be vaccinated to go back to school. Does the president believe that teachers need to be vaccinated uh, before they go back to school? Uh, no, neither the president nor the vice president believe that um, that uh, it should be. It is a requirement. Uh, this, the CDC guidelines included uh, a range of mitigation steps, including vaccinations, as recommendations. But the mitigation steps also included uh, steps like social distancing. If that sounds like she's not setting any standards, because she's not. Okay, so why don't we just head on over to the VP's office? And she mentioned the VP right there. You know, the, the vice presidential spokeswoman, Simone Sanders, she was on CNN and she was asked directly whether Biden thinks the schools can open even after uh, or, or if the teachers are not vaccinated. And here is Simone Sanders just dodging the question. The president and vice president believe that teachers should be prioritized for receiving the vaccination along with other frontline workers. Is it necessary, though? That's the question. It really is a yes, no question. Well, John, I think the real question, frankly, if I can be frank here, is what you're getting to is, is it safe for kids to go back to school? And the president it, it, and vice actually president... Actually not. In this case, that's not the question. The question is, is it safe for teachers to go back to school? It is the administration's position. The president and vice president believe that teachers should be prioritized for vaccinations. And in 22 states, at least, and the District of Columbia, that's exactly what is happening. You know, uh, look... I'll try one last is... time. I'll try one last time. Does okay, the president Does the president feel that, that teachers have to be vaccinated? in order for schools to, to open safely, yes or no? The president believes that teachers should be prioritized for vaccination. His right. wife. Okay, credit to where credit is due to John Berman of CNN, who's just getting more and more exasperated throughout this interview, being like, this is a very easy question. Can we open the schools even if the teachers aren't vaccinated? And she's like, I like vaccines. Like, that's not, what are you talking about right now? I don't understand. I asked you a simple question. Can kids go back to school if the teachers are not fully vaccinated? And she's like, I also like the movie Toy Story. And he's like, I, what are you talking about right now? I don't know what you're saying. Okay, this administration has no coherent through line. It's amazing. It's amazing. For a year, they yelled at Trump for not having a coherent through line. And there was truth to that. But then they get in office and they're even more discombobulated than Trump ever was. I mean, it's unreal. It's unreal. And you know who's contributing to the sense of discombobulation? The greatest doctor of all time outside of Dr. Joe Biden, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the world's greatest, most important doctor in human history. It goes, again, Hippocrates, Dr. J, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Joe Biden. I mean, this dude is such the doctoring, the, the level of doctoring exhibited by Anthony Fauci over the course of the last month alone should win him just a, a straight ticket to Dr. Heaven. It's, it's incredible stuff. He's just amazing. Amazing. Here, so here's Dr. Fauci being asked about, you know, teachers and, and their level of risk. And somebody asked a pretty simple question, which is, um, so how many teachers have died of COVID in the United States by being infected at schools? Now, to my knowledge, the answer currently proven is zero. Seriously, I've had people send me articles recently. A producer, Jessica, she sent over an article in which it said a teacher had died after being at school. And then you read the article. And in paragraph 20 of the article, it says the teacher's family said it could not be ascertained as to whether she actually got COVID at school. 
There were articles during the summer when school wasn't in session about teachers dying. And they were like, teachers are dying. Well, if you get infected, not in school, then how in the hell are you blaming it on the schools? Anyway, so Dr. Fauci, he says that the, the task force, the CDC task force is not even tracking teacher deaths. Now, if you wanted to determine whether it's safe for teachers to go back to school, wouldn't that be kind of an important stat? How many teachers are dying of COVID after being infected in school? In fact, wouldn't that be the only stat that matters? But don't worry, we're not tracking it. And we can count on these crappy CDC guidelines that were done with the input of the teachers unions, according to the CDC's own head, Rochelle Walensky. Here is Dr. Fauci being just unbelievable doctoring right here. I have not seen it broken down on number of teachers who have died. I don't think that information is readily available. We do say, and we feel strongly, that we should try as best as we possibly can to vaccinate teachers. And they should be as a high priority within the area of essential personnel. Hey, come on, come on. So I, I don't have any data on that. And um, we don't need data on that because the science says we should follow these crappy guidelines that I made with the, the American Federation of Teachers. Well done. By the way, it's all not political, right? It's super not political. In fact, it's so not political that Biden's COVID czar, a guy named Jeff Zients, he came out yesterday and he said, you know what? The only way we can reopen schools is if we get another $130 billion from the COVID package. Okay, there's only one problem. We have hundreds of millions of unspent dollars for schools. The schools aren't open right now. The hell are you talking about? The hell are you saying? Also, that $1.9 trillion plan has billions of dollars earmarked, not for 2021, not for 2022 for schools, for 2023 and 2024. If you think that we're still going to be spending like this in 2023, 2024 on schools to reopen them, then... Honestly, if the right can't take advantage of this by getting everybody into private school like ASAP, they are making a grave error. Now would be the best time for a homeschooling and private schooling movement in human history. Here is Jeff Zients following the science by saying things that are completely, you know, irrelevant to the science. Doing this, um, smaller class sizes, ensuring there are more school buses, having the equipment and the testing available. This costs money, uh, and that's why the passage of the American Rescue Plan, the $130 billion for schools, is so important to do. Uh, it's so much more expensive than the $130 billion to not have our kids in school uh, in any setting that is safe uh, and, and feasible in this environment. More money. That's, that's the answer, more money. Okay, but then when the more money comes, what if the, kids, what if the teachers aren't vaccinated? Well, then, then, then we'll, you know, we like vaccines and Toy Story, so I guess it's all good. This is the pros. We were told by the media, the pros are in, man. The amateurs are gone. The pros are back. There's only one problem. The pros suck at this. They suck at this. How bad do they suck at this? They have no good answers to anything. They're getting owned by the liberals over on MSNBC about their lack of a COVID policy. When MSNBC is looking cross-eyed at the Biden administration for their lack of a COVID policy, you know things are kind of bad. Here's MSNBC's Stephanie. I mean, they're getting owned by anchors at CNN and MSNBC. That's how bad this is for the Democrats. Stephanie Rule and MSNBC confronted a Biden spokesperson and asked a very simple question. It's weird. You guys keep pushing lockdown, but it seems to me like California is in lockdown and Florida is not. And their death per million stats are very, very similar. And Florida is the second oldest state in America and California is the fifth youngest state in America. So what gives? Contrast states like Florida and California, um, California basically in lockdown and their numbers aren't that different from Florida. Well, good morning, Stephanie. Uh, look, there's so much of this virus that we think we understand, that we think we can predict, that's just beyond a little bit beyond our explanation. What we do know is that the more careful people are, the more they mask and social distance, and the quicker we vaccinate, 
the quicker it goes away and the less it spreads. Okay, Andy Slavitt just completely ignored the question. He just ignored the question completely. She's like, Florida's wide open. California's completely closed. Their numbers are the same. He's like, there's one thing that we know about this virus and that that's California's right. It's like, what What in the world? The entire premise of the question is that California and Florida are doing polar opposite things and ending up with the same numbers and Florida's a way older state. And he's like, here's the thing. We don't know anything. We're incredibly stupid and ignorant. But there is one thing we know, and that is that we are right. Okay, guys, you, you sound like you, you're in control. I believe you. I th- I believe you. And I especially believe Democrats because they do things like get the kudos of the media. They are treated as the greatest of all time at handling things like pandemics. And then they bully the living crap out of people who dissent. Andrew Cuomo, I'm speaking your language right now. According to The Daily Wire, Ryan Saavedra, a Democrat New York State Assemblyman claimed on Wednesday that New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, the greatest of all governors, guys, threatened to destroy him after the lawmaker criticized Cuomo's handling of the coronavirus pandemic as it related to the state's nursing homes. Assemblyman Ron Kim told CNN Cuomo called him last Thursday to, quote, threaten my career if I did not cover up for Melissa DeRosa and what she said. He tried to pressure me to issue a statement. It was a very traumatizing experience. Apparently, Cuomo also allegedly told him, quote, we're in this business together. We don't cross certain lines. And he said, I hadn't seen his wrath and that he can destroy me. They're all, uh, it's amazing. Trump was a bad guy for saying stuff like this all the time. Democrats say this kind of crap all the time. Andrew Cuomo is a bully. He is a thug. Everybody in politics has known this in New York for years. Even Bill de Blasio thinks that that Andrew Cuomo is a, is garbage. I mean, like it's, it's unbelievable. And they treated this guy as like the king of COVID. Anthony Fauci was like, that governor's amazing. And then Anthony Fauci is asked about the fact that he's covering up data. And Anthony Fauci is like, well, I won't comment on that. I can't comment on that. Like, oh, really? Weird. Because you were commenting on it five seconds ago. If I sound a little upset, it's because these governmental experts who proclaim that you should give them more power do not know their ass from their elbow. They don't know anything. And then when you dissent, then they say things like, oh, well, you're a COVID denier. This is... It's all about quashing the ability of people to speak freely. It is all about denying the science in many cases. And it is all about false narratives. They, Joe Biden was elected really for one reason and one reason only. And that is the American people thought that Donald Trump botched COVID. If you look at the polls, that is the real reason that Donald Trump lost the election beyond all of the other crazinesses and beyond all the personality foibles and all of that. If COVID doesn't arise, Biden doesn't get elected. Okay, it's pretty simple. They, they, he was elected on the promise he was going to know what he's doing, and they don't know what they're doing. And the media are now, now that the election's over, now they can actually ask these questions. Remember, some of us were asking these questions during the campaign. Is this guy in favor of lockdown? How will he open schools? What exactly is his plan? And the media were like, you're asking about his plan. Trump's the president. It's like, right, but he wants to be the president. You should probably ask him about, you know, his plans. And the media are like, no, 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 no. Cuomo's amazing. We're not going to ask about his plans. Don't be so. And then he gets elected. It's like, so your plan. And Biden's like, Trump relationship. And they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Right. And it didn't make any sense in November either. It didn't make any sense in October or September. But you guys were too busy drooling all over the guy. Unreal. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, we all know the first thing we do when we get home from work is change out of those work clothes and get into the comfortable loungewear. Well, luckily for me, I have Tommy John because as I slip into something more comfortable, my Tommy John loungewear set, I'm immediately enveloped in a cocoon of supreme softness and unparalleled comfort. Not only is their loungewear cozy enough to use as sleepwear, it's stylish enough to wear for a quick stroll to the park with my kids, and you won't look like you just rolled out of bed, even if you may have done just that. Tommy John uses luxuriously soft tri-blend fabrics with flexible four-way stretch. Plus, their fabric is non-pilling, meaning it doesn't leave behind lint balls or fuzz. And guys, you might be wondering how they can get any better 
good news. Their underwear, amazing. I mean, I've been using them for years, literally throughout all my other pairs of underwear. Incredibly durable. Their fabric moves with you. It's just great stuff. Plus, Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee protects your most valuable asset. So shop Tommy John. Get 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Save 20% for a limited time at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. That's TommyJohn.com slash Ben. See site for details. Okay, meanwhile, speaking of our mainstream media botching the science, it is amusing to watch the media attempt to cover for wind power. Okay, so here's the thing. If there's one thing that we should have learned from what just happened in Texas, a few things. One, you got to harden your electrical grid. You got to make sure that you have the warming capacity necessary. You got to build more nuclear power plants. If there's one thing that we know for sure, though, it is that more windmills would not have helped. More windmills would have been a very bad idea in Texas. In fact, here is a chart. This is from Alex Epstein. Alex Epstein put out this chart about solar energy and wind energy and how they performed in Texas in the middle of this of this freeze. Alex is the co-founder of Thoughtful.Community, and he's author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Here is what the Texas electrical grid looked like. The red line is the amount of demand for electricity. The blue in this chart is the amount of wind-generated power. The yellow is the amount of solar-generated power. You will see on February 4th, there's a fair amount of wind and solar-generated power. And then as the storm hit, look what happened. Why, it's almost as though wind and solar generation completely failed. They were unreliable sources of energy. See, here's the thing. You can do gas production in the middle of freezing temperatures. It happens in Alaska and Norway all the time, as the media is fond of pointing out. You, you can do nuclear. One thing you cannot do, wind generation or solar generation, at least not in huge numbers. And yet, the media's takeaway is that solar is necessary. We need more solar and more wind. If your takeaway from freezing temperatures leading to an energy shortage in Texas is that we need more of the thing that failed the most during this thing, you're completely insane. It's nuts. And yet these are our amazing journalism experts. They're saying that what this means is that we need a Green New Deal. I mean, it's amazing. Like when things are good for oil and gas, we need a Green New Deal because we don't want people using oil and gas. Then when things are bad for oil and gas, we need a Green New Deal. Almost as though all you give a crap about is building alternative sources of energy that are significantly, significantly too expensive. Epstein has a thread about this. He says, there's a lot of conflicting information about the Texas blackouts. Here's the bottom line. The root cause of the Texas blackouts is a national and state policy that has prioritized the adoption of unreliable wind and solar energy over reliable energy. For the last decade, plus policy in Texas and the United States has been focused on mandating or subsidizing as, subsidizing as much wind and solar as possible. Texas has bragged about being the biggest wind generator in the United States. The Texas focus on wind has come above all at the expense of coal, which has the, the resiliency advantage, along with nuclear, of being able to store large quantities of fuel on site. Gas mostly requires just-in-time delivery from pipelines. But they stopped developing coal, and they stopped developing nuclear, and they spent all of the money on wind and solar. And that is why you end up with energy shortages in places like Texas. Right now, Texas's plans include zero new nuclear plants, zero new coal plants, 9.4 gigawatts of wind, 11.9 gigawatts of solar, and only five gigawatts of gas. Th those are bad plans. The media, by contrast, they're like, you know what? AOC. Let, let, let's, let's talk to AOC about this. Here's Brianna Keeler from CNN saying that AOC's Green New Deal is the solution to this, which is the dumbest thing that anyone has said about this crisis thus far. It's all the windmill's fault, Governor Greg Abbott says, not missing the chance to spin a yarn for political gain in the middle of a crisis. He blames renewable energy for the rolling power outages that have Texans seeking refuge in their cars as the temperatures in their homes drop into the 40s. But he's wrong. 
Experts say that it is a garden variety of reasons. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of the architects of the climate legislation, responded, quote, the infrastructure failures in Texas are quite literally what happens when you don't pursue a Green New Deal. Well, I mean, if the former waitress says so, I guess that we're done here. I mean, if the, if the bartender who has a degree in economics from Boston University and yet somehow thinks that the solution to this is more windmills, says so, I guess we should probably we should listen to her. If somebody if somebody knows energy policy, it's the lady who thinks that we should build high speed rail, get rid of planes and retrofit every building in the United States and also stop eating meat. Probably she is. the Obviously, she's the expert. I'm so glad that Brianna Keeler of CNN could really put her finger on the pulse of the nation. Texas freezes. Go to AOC at her bistro in Brooklyn. Okay, meanwhile, the media are going nuts today because Ted Cruz apparently is in Cancun. Now, I will admit that this is bad optics. Of course, it's bad optics. Whenever there's a crisis, if you are seen to be having any sort of good time because our politics are incredibly stupid, this means that you're responsible for the crisis. Everything in politics is performative right now. Members of Congress don't do anything for a living. All they do is gather once every so often to spend too much of your money. And so everything becomes performative. Right? The reason that AOC is a star is because she goes to immigration facilities and takes photo shoots outside immigration facilities being emotional in response to what is going on apparently inside the immigration facilities. I mean, that, I mean, the more performative you are in politics, the better you do these days. That is just the reality of the situation. So I get that it's bad optics for Ted Cruz to take his family on vacation to Cancun right now. It even sounds bad. But let's be real about this for just one second. This is one of the stupidest aspects of our politics. Like, What exactly? It's not a real-time crisis that Ted Cruz, the senator from Texas, can do anything about. Because the senator from Texas is, in fact, in the United States Senate. He's a federal officer, right? He's a federal elected official. This is up to the mayor of Houston and like the governor of Texas and all the people who are state level officials. And also, I, I just wonder, what is Ted Cruz like? It, did they expect Ted to go there with like a blowtorch and start defrosting all of the pipelines? He can do what Beto O'Rourke does and he can tweet out a bunch of links to people who are helping out. I'm sure Ted's already done that. But the, the, the notion that the gravest of all sins is that you took your family to a place that is not Texas in the middle of a bad situation in Texas. My favorite part of this is all the journalists in their heated apartments in New York are tweeting angrily about all of this. I can't believe Ted Cruz would do something like this. Oh, yeah. I see you there on the ground handing out food. Really, well done there. Really, really well done. Okay, meanwhile, I'd be remiss if I did not get to what is easily the stupidest story of the day. This is the stupidest story of the day. This is from the wellness section at the Washington Post. So, you may recall that there is a woman who is stupid enough to put a bunch of Gorilla Glue in her hair. This is very stupid. Gorilla Glue is glue, as indicated by the name Gorilla Glue, right? It is super glue, essentially. Why would you put that in your hair unless you're a dum-dum? Okay, the lady's a dum-dum, as evidenced by the fact that she put glue in her hair. Okay, I don't even have to go further than that. You take Gorilla Glue and you spray it in your hair, you ain't, you ain't getting into Phi Beta Kappa. Okay, how does the Washington Post spin this? Well, it turns out that the lady was black. I had no idea, but apparently she is. This means that the reason she sprayed Gorilla Glue in her hair, I'm not kidding you, the reason she sprayed Gorilla Glue in her hair is because of systemic racism, according to the Washington Post, which is weird because I have not seen a massive spate of black people spraying Gorilla Glue into their hair, only this dumb lady. Like, this is not a systemic problem in the black community. People spray painting their hair with Gorilla Glue. Like, that's not a thing. The reason this lady was a headline is because she did something unbelievably stupid and then it went viral online. And the Washington Post is like, yes, but have you considered the possibility that this is an outgrowth of 
400 years of oppression? And no, I didn't consider that possibility because oppressed people generally don't spray Gorilla Glue in their hair. Weird. But here's the Washington Post. I, our media, they don't have a narrative, guys. They are perfectly objective. Remember, this is not in the op-ed section. Letitia Beecham writing, Tessica Brown no longer feels like she has red ants crawling around her skull. Scalp. Brown, 40, nicknamed Gorilla Glue Girl, captured the internet's attention with her forever ponytail after she used Gorilla Glue Spray, a very strong adhesive for heavy-duty project to create possibly the slickest of side parts and swooped edges known to womankind. The embarrassing ordeal has left Brown with some missing baby hairs, bald patches that are expected to recover, and a much shorter hairstyle that's nowhere near the amount of inches she had with her month-long braid. Over the next six weeks, Brown can't put, put much else on her scalp except for a concoction created by a Beverly Hills, California-based plastic surgeon who removed the glue from her hair. At this point, I'm scared to put a relaxer on my hair, she told the Washington Post in an interview, adding she has decided to go natural and embrace the naturalness of her hair. Brown saga, says the Washington Post, which first went viral on social media and then became national news, appealed to some black people who still shudder at the thought of a relaxer or the sizzling pain of a hot comb that got too close to skin. Memories that have led many black women to sport their own kinks and curls. Plenty of people ridiculed and got their belly laughs at Brown's misfortune, but there was a sense of community among others, especially black people who sought to shield her from being a spectacle of idiocy. The extreme she went to for zero flyaways is very unusual, but the desired outcome is as old as black people's time in a country that often mocked how they look. Experts say. What now? Huh? So you want to talk about the history of people discriminating on the basis of race, and you want to talk about the the discriminatory attitude towards particular types of hair that have existed in American society, perfectly fine. If you want to say that this lady is like a perfect example of discrimination on the basis of hair because she used Gorilla Glue in her hair, again, can't we just say that some people are idiots and do stupid things? Is that possible? Can we do that? Is, is that ever a possibility? Also, note to the world, there are a lot of very prominent black Americans who are not doing any of these things anymore, which is great. People should be able to wear their hair however they feel like wearing their hair. That's fine. Why you would lump in people who want to wear their hair a certain way with Gorilla Glue Lady or suggest that American society is to blame for a dummy putting Gorilla Glue on her head is be, I mean, it's not beyond me. I know exactly why they're doing it, right? It's every problem in American society is attributable to systems of power. Those systems of power are rooted in innate white supremacy. So if a dumb lady puts Gorilla Glue on her head and she happens to be a black lady who put Gorilla Glue on her head, it has to be that this is a legacy of America's hierarchies of power coming all the way back to 1619. Think piece in the New York Times. This one, at least, is in the Washington Post. The mother of five said she was familiar with Gorilla Glue before her very unfortunate mistake, often using it around her Louisiana home for tasks such as setting up Christmas decorations. Okay, first of all, that right there would be a good indicator that she is a complete moron. It's not as though she went to the store and she's like, oh, it says Gorilla Glue and it's a spray, so maybe it's a hairspray. She used it around her home to glue things and then she put it in her hair. Okay, this is the equivalent of the lady who gave fish tank cleaner to her husband because she thought that fish tank cleaner was hydroxychloroquine. People doing dumb things are usually not outgrowths of systemic racism. They're just people doing dumb things. When she ran out of, her, out of her favorite got-to-be-glued hairspray, she reached for the Gorilla Spray adhesive to save on time before leaving her home. She figured she could just spray it on her hair and wash it out once she got home that day. I don't know why you would figure that unless you're a dummy, unless you're stupid. Days turned into a week before she shamefully admitted to her mother what she had done. That week became a month before she went to social media to seek help, she said. <laughs> I'm sorry, the fact that she was like sitting around for a month and she's like, I, uh, my hair's glued. Like after two days, you weren't like, this is kind of a problem. 
She said, the only reason why I took it to social media is because we ran out of things to do. I figured somebody out there would be able to tell me what to do. I never thought my little girl would say, Ma, your video has a million views. She had to console one of her young daughters who said she endured taunts from other children making fun of her mother. Now, don't, don't make fun of the kids. I mean, it's not the kids' fault that mommy is, is not particularly bright. Brown had to keep under control the angst of possibly never running her fingers through her hair again for the sake of the children who came to her daycare, Tessa's Little Angels Learning Academy. Neil Lester said he initially thought Brown's problem was a prank. But as he continued to follow this story, he said it reminded him of all the ways black Americans have used unusual hair products to manipulate or style their hair. I thought of Malcolm X and his experience with the conch, said Foundation Professor of English and Founding Director of Project of Humanities at Arizona State University, referring to the hair straightener made of lye, eggs, and potatoes used by many black people in the earlier and middle part of the 20th century. That stringing started with enslaved people using axle wheel grease and dirty dishwasher with oil. Enslaved men used axle wheel grease as a means to dye their hair or temporarily straighten it. Women would use butter, fat from bacon, or grease from geese to care for their hair, according to Hair Story, Untangling the Roots of Black Hair in America. Uh, Well, see, she's not enslaved. She was not attempting to, uh, according to her, abide by white standards of beauty or anything. She doesn't, there's nothing in here that says that that's what she was attempting to do. She said she just liked her hair that way. But it's still systemic racism. So, as always, the root of every problem in life is systemic American racism. The only solution, hire Ibram X. Kennedy for $20,000 to tell you that you're a white supremacist. Otherwise, this sort of evil will run rampant across society. People gorilla gluing their hair every single day as a direct outgrowth of the legacy of racism in the United States. Oh, Washington Post. I can't imagine why people mistrust our institutional media. They're so good at what they do. Alrighty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. Coming up soon, the Matt Walsh Show airing at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Rebecca Doyle and Savannah Dominguez. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright 2021. On the Matt Wall Show, we talk about the things that matter. Real issues that affect you, your family, our country. Not just politics, but culture, faith, current events, all the fundamentals. If they matter to you, come check out the show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 